right, well, this morning I want to share a word. I, want, I recognize that uh, our young people are also here today. So I'm praying that you guys will be engaged uh, and involved in the service this morning. So before we go into the word, I want to pray. I just ask the Lord to help us as I share this word. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for the privilege, for the opportunity to be able to hear your word. We thank you that we can come together as your children, Lord God, and be in a position to allow your word to speak to our hearts. And I pray that, Lord, that you will prepare our hearts this morning, that you will help us, oh God, to draw closer to you. And that this word that you will allow me to share, that, Lord, it will fall on good ground. And that, Lord, it will bear fruit within us and draw each and every one of us closer to you. So, Father, we thank you. We give you praise and we give you glory. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right. Well, the word I want to share this morning is called, The Lord Will Raise a Standard. The Lord Will Raise a Standard. Now, this, this title um, is taken from the scripture in Isaiah chapter 59, which we will read in detail today. Um, at the beginning of, I think it was May, this year, but also in the last week or so, on the news, if those of you that have been following events on the news, um, you would have seen that um, there has been really severe floods in, in India, in Bangladesh. Hundreds of people, unfortunately, have been killed. Uh, and the areas in which this, these floods have been attacking has caused total devastation. Um, you know, the, the aid that is in need in, in the area is, is very severe. Um, yeah, it's, it's very, very severe. I remember there was some years back, someone sent me footage, um, a friend of mine that was living in Ghana at the time. There were floods in Ghana and floods of Sierra Leone as well. And footage was sent of the floods as they were happening at the time. Um, and it was, it was heartbreaking because you could see some people that they were in, in their cars the floods were, were immersing the cars. People were inside their cars. They couldn't do anything. And more than likely, the people can't swim. Even if you can swim, when you're in a flood, it's a different situation because it's not water by itself. It's, it's all forms of debris and all that type of stuff. So even trying to swim would be difficult. But you can literally see that as the video was, was being played, that you can see that the people that were struggling, that more than likely they didn't, they didn't survive. It was really heartbreaking. Floods not only kill, but they cause havoc. They cause devastation. That's what they do. And when a flood takes place, unfortunately, they don't show any mercy. The flood I was just referring to, the fact that maybe they were children or they were uh, elderly people, etc. The flood wouldn't stop itself because there are children or elderly people. The flood would just relentlessly go where it will go. Because the flood shows no mercy. And I'm using the flood to demonstrate an example of uh, the enemy, Satan. Because in the same way that floods show no mercy, Satan shows no mercy. He doesn't care about your age. He doesn't care about your experience. He doesn't care about who your family are or who you're, where you live, etc. The enemy will show no mercy if you give him permission to enter into your life. He will cause havoc in the same way a flood causes total devastation and havoc. 
you know, we had a, a, a meeting um, some weeks back with um, Pastor John, who's, you know, the general overseer of uh, Christian Life Fellowship. And he mentioned how he felt in his heart how the church was, the condition of the church is in the body of Christ. And he felt that, that the body of Christ was in a position where they were backslidden, that the church needs to repent because of how he felt that the attitude of, of we as children of God has been when it comes to the things of God, that we've been very either laid back, just more focused on our own things as opposed to the things of God. And he felt that the church was in a very backslidden uh, state. Now, I'm saying that to follow on to the scripture that I want to read, as I mentioned in Isaiah 59. Um, and I want to take the time to read this portion of scripture. It's the whole chapter. It's 21 verses. It's not that particularly long, but there is, it's a very, I'll say, a very heavy and weighty uh, portion of scripture that I want to read. And I encourage you, as I read through it, to really listen carefully, because there are things that I believe that the Holy Spirit will, will speak to us concerning ourselves, concerning the church as a whole, but also maybe concerning you individually uh, in, relation, in relation to how your walk with the Lord is. So Isaiah 59, I'm going to read from the New King James Version. Hopefully the um, media team will be able to put, put it up on the board. All right, let's, let's read. So it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save nor his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. Verse 2. But your iniquities, your sins, have separated you from God. Let me pause there. This is talking about God's ability to save us. Because we know Jesus died on the cross. We know that he died on the cross to save us from, from, from our sin. But it's saying here that God's ability to save us and God's ability to hear when we pray and answer our prayers is not the issue. Because God can save. He sent Jesus to save us. That's not the issue. When we pray, God can hear us. And he hears us. Because that's what God does. We are his children. We pray to him. He hears us. That's not the issue. But it's saying here, but your iniquities, your sins, have separated you from your God. So the issue is sin. Sin is what will stop us or stop God from hearing us. Sin is what will stop God from allowing us to receive salvation. Verse 3, for your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue has muttered. Sorry, my phone's going dead. phone and decided to uh, misbehave. Just give me a second. Okay, I'm gonna. Okay, your tongues have muttered perversely. In other words, we have spoken things, we have said things, or we have done things which is con contrary to how the Lord wants us to be. It goes on, no one calls for justice, nor does anyone plead for truth. lies. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. 
Let me pause this. So in other words, it's saying that this is showing, again, a sense of a spirit of apathy. People are more concerned about themselves rather than caring about the things of God. It's not caring much about anything other than the things of our own nature. It goes on, verse 5. They hatch vipers' eggs and weave the spider's web. They eat. He who eats of their egg dies. And from that which is crushed, a viper breaks out. Verse 6. Their webs will not become garments, nor will they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity. And the act of violence is in their hands. Seven. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity or sin. Wasting and destruction are in their path. The way of peace they have not known, and there is no justice in their ways. They have made themselves crooked paths. Whoever takes that way shall not know peace. It's talking about crooked paths, talking about the direction that we are going in. So many times we can take ourselves and do things and make decisions that look nice to us. It's a, a decision that will, in our minds, will benefit us financially. Or a decision that you feel that is, it will make your family comfortable. Or a decision that will, you know, to some extent, um, in terms of the future, you think, yeah, this is something to do. But where is God involved in that? And this is what the Lord is saying in terms of they made themselves crooked paths. Decisions that have taken themselves away from the Lord. And it says, whoever takes that way shall not know peace. Therefore, justice is far from them, nor does righteousness overtake us. It says, we look for light, but there is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in blackness. We grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we have no eyes. We stumble at noonday, at the twilight. We are as dead men in, in desolate places. We all growl like bears and moan sadly like doves. We look for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and as for our iniquities, we know them. Verse 13. In transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far off and truth is falling in the street and equity cannot enter. So truth fails and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. In other words, if you depart from evil, if you stop doing what the enemy wants you to do, you become a prey for the enemy, which is actually fine. Because rather than being someone that is in disobedience to the things of God, that is a worse position to be in. But when you are obeying and following the things that God is leading you to do, you become or you make yourself a, a, a prey for the enemy, which is fine. Because that is the position God wants us to be in. Then it says, the Lord saw it, and it displeased him, that there was no justice. Verse 16, he saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. As we know, intercessor is somebody that prays, 
on behalf of the church. So nobody was praying. There wasn't anybody that the Lord saw that was praying or trying to pray on behalf of the church. So therefore, his arm, his own arm, brought salvation for him. And his own righteousness, it sustained him. For he put a righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly, he will repay. Fury for his adversaries, recompense for his enemies, the coastlands, he will fully repay. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. And this is the famous scripture that we'll be looking at. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up or raise up a standard against him. The Redeemer will come to Zion. Zion means the church. And to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. Verse 21. As for me, says the Lord, and listen carefully, this is my covenant to you. This is my promise to you. This is what the Lord is saying. My spirit whom is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. Verse 21, I just read, this is the Lord's commitment to us if we obey the word of God. This is what he's saying. This is a covenant that his spirit is upon us, that his words that he's put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth or from the mouth of your descendants, those that are, you're connected to, or from your descendants, descendants, that as you speak the word of God, that he's put in your mouth, it will not depart from you. This is God's promise to us, that God has given us an authority that as we speak and as we declare the word of God in any situation, that the Lord will perform what his word says as we speak. But see, there is, there's a process here. And the process is simply that we remain connected and obedient to the things of God. Now, I don't know how God has been speaking to you because the wonderful thing about God is that God speaks in so many ways. He will lay a very subtle thing on your heart. But with that, at times, there's, a, there's a, an action that God wants you to do. If you decide that you're not going to perform that action, that means that you are disobeying what God is telling you to do. Sometimes you may randomly just open up the Bible and a scripture just jumps out to you. And as you read that scripture, you know there and then that that scripture is speaking specifically to you about your life, about something that relates to something that only you know. But then as you read it again, there's an action that comes with that scripture. Maybe you may have to go and start doing something that maybe you've not ever done before. Or maybe you may have to stop doing something that you've been doing for a long time, that you now know that through that scripture that God is saying to you, my son, my daughter, you need to stop doing that thing. Whatever it is, it requires you to do something. Now the key is, if you decide within yourself that you're not going to do it, then you are in disobedience to God. And the scripture that I read in, in Isaiah 59 mentions and refers to what will happen, what may happen if you are in disobedience. 
Isaiah 59, 19, as I read before. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. That when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. The scripture says when the enemy comes in like a flood. It doesn't say if the enemy comes in like a flood. It is inevitable. Because if you are a child of God, you recognize that God is your father. You've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You are trying to live for him as a child of God. The enemy will dedicate his entire life to trying to attack you, to stop you from being in relationship with the Lord. That is his number one plan. So, as I said before, it's not if the enemy comes in like a flood. It's when. Right now, some of us are facing some floods in our lives. For some of us, you may not be facing a flood yet. But I assure you, a flood is on its way in different ways because that's how the enemy works. But the scripture says that when he comes in like a flood, that the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against the enemy, against that flood. Later on, I'll go into what that standard means. But it's saying to us that even though the enemy is attempting to attack us, even though right now some of us are receiving and being on the receiving end of severe attacks, the Lord is reminding us that he has raised up his standard. That God is with us in that battle. Doesn't mean that the battle is going to consume us and finish us. It means that you will go through that battle, but the Lord is with you. The Spirit of God is with you. You know, there's a theme in the Old, in the Old Testament, in many books in, in the Old Testament, about obeying the Word of God. It's so important. Obeying the Word of God. And we can see when we read different books in the Old Testament, as soon as different ones in the Bible began to obey, you could see how things and things in terms of their future, how they went well. But as soon as they decide to do their own thing and disobey God, that you again, you can see how things went in the opposite direction. Things began to uh, become very negative and not good. There are promises that God had in store for all of us. And these promises include a number of things. God wants to prosper us. That is a promise from God. God wants to favor us. God wants things to go well with us. Once the Bible says in Joshua 1.8 that God wants to give us good success. God wants the best for us. He doesn't want us to be struggling or suffering. He wants us to be delivered. He wants us to be healed. He wants us to be uh, living a life of peace. The list goes on. And see, the enemy doesn't need to come in like a flood when we are not honoring God. When we're living for ourselves. When we're doing our own thing. When it's like that, the enemy doesn't have to come in like a flood at all. Because actually you're doing what the enemy wants you to do. You're not involving God in what you are doing. But it's only when we choose to, on a daily basis, dedicate ourselves 
give ourselves to God in all that we are doing, in your job, with your family, with your friends, whatever it is, you know that God is involved. You are deliberately bringing God on board. You're not just living anyhow and just deciding whatever. And then maybe when you get a, a, you remind yourself, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm a Christian. And then you decide to bring God in. But no, there's a, there's a deliberate uh, um, um, action of involving him in everything that takes place. Every decision, you're running it by God. Every action that you do, you're involving God. You're not just looking at the end goal. You see someone comes and then offers you this deal. There's money at the end of it, etc. You just see the money and you just run towards it. You forget that. Let me find out and pray. Let me speak to God and find out, should I do this or not? But you just see the money and then you just run there and you enter it and you sign a contract for how many years and then the thing collapses. But then you're committed to that thing. Because, and you're committed to it because you wanted to do it, but you didn't involve the Lord. Some of us are in that position now. Remember, I spoke to somebody during the week, and they told me about a position that, that they unfortunately got themselves into, where they were asked to take out money. And this is within a church setting as well. When he told me, I was like, wow. Asked to take out money so, so that uh, the church could purchase um, a, a building. All the members were told to take out loans. They took out loans. Um, and they did it in innocence to help the church, etc. To cut a long story short, the, the, the whole um, um, purchasing of the building collapsed. The loans that different ones took out um, and the money they were supposed to receive, nobody got any money back. So all of them lost out. None of them got their money. And that wasn't even the only thing. Even the way that they were spoken to about them not getting their money back. They, were just, they basically weren't even spoken to. They were, they were just left. So each one had to individually arrange for themselves to pay the money back. It was, it was a bit of a, it was a mess. Now, I don't know how many of them spoke to the Lord before they entered into that thing. I don't know. But the point I'm making is this. Anything you are doing, you have to involve God. Even if I came to you now in my position as pastor and I asked you, oh, Nick, can you do blah, blah, blah? And you know it's a commitment. Just because I've asked doesn't mean you don't ask God. It doesn't mean, that, oh, yeah, Mecca is set, so let me just go ahead and, and whatever. You have to speak to God yourself and find out, okay, should I do this or should I not do this? If you do it and then later on down the line, it looks as though the thing has gone pear-shaped. You don't have to worry at all because God knows the end from the beginning. Even if it looks like it's pear-shaped, let the thing pass because God is in control of time. As long as you, you've involved God in what you are doing, there's no issue. But it's when you don't involve him and you then decide to make decisions. Whatever the outcome is will not be a good one because God is not involved in that situation. So I spoke about becoming dangerous to the enemy. It starts by obeying God. There are other ways that we can come, become dangerous. Just generally, you share the gospel, we pray, we spend time fasting, all these other things. But then there are other things, invisible matters, that also cause us to become vulnerable when it comes to the, to, uh, to the enemy. And these are things such as forgiveness. Then there's elements, invisible things I'm talking about. 
holiness and purity, things that people don't see. Someone's living a holy life. It's not something that everybody sees as such. It is to some extent, but it's a private, personal thing. And these are things that we, as children, are going to have to work on in order for us to uh, live a life that God himself, in a secret place, approves of. Because many of us, publicly, you know, we give a certain image, we may come across in a certain way, but God knows how it is behind the scenes. And I would encourage each and every one of us that when it comes to your walk with God, don't be somebody that's more focused on how it looks outwardly. You know, it's not the best maybe if someone may see you in a negative way outwardly because of how we are. That's, you know, that's one of those things. But if you know in a secret place that you are doing the things that God wants you to do, that you're honoring God, that is the key. So in the secret place, use your time effectively to spend time with God and to not allow the enemy to have any place in your life. Amen? So understand the nature of the enemy coming in like a flood, the enemy's attack. First and foremost, any attack that we are subjected to, and as I said before, it's not if, it's when. Any attack that may come our way, you understand that it is entirely spiritual in nature, first and foremost. It's not physical. It comes across as physical, but it is entirely spiritual in nature. You know, sometimes what we do is that when we are under attack, and it could be financially, it could be your health, it could be in your relationships with work or your marriage or your children, your spouses, your siblings, whatever it may be. What we tend to do is that we spend energy physically addressing the attack. And that comes in the form of maybe that you start arguing with people. You, 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 you pinpoint a particular area and you spend energy speaking and addressing it. And again, it turns into arguments. It turns into having a verbal mismatch with somebody. Rather than using your energy to bring that matter before the Lord in prayer and be yielding it to him, bombarding heaven, saying, Lord, listen, you need to intervene. You're praying in tongues. You're praying in the spirit. Instead, you'll be arguing with somebody, speaking and, and, and discussing. And the energy that you should have to pray, you don't even have energy, energy left because you've spent it on unnecessary discussions. You have to remember this, that your enemy is not people. Your enemy is not your bank account. It's not obstacles that come in a physical way. Your enemy is Satan and his horde of, of demonic agents. He is your enemy. And the only way that we can address or counterattack the enemy is by using weapons that address the enemy himself. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 to 6, scripture that we all know. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down the arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of God. The weapons that God has given to you to attack the enemy, they're not physical. If you are under an attack, you cannot bring a baseball bat and try to hit your bank account because your account is going down. You cannot bring 
make a call to some of your friends. Some of us have got friends that you can make a call to that will come and bring some, you know those, exactly. You can't do that. If you are, are coming under attack, your health is an issue. You pick up the phone and call, yeah, bro, you know, yeah, come, you know, to come and come and do, do what you normally do. It doesn't work. Because those weapons that we need for this battle, they're not carnal. But the Bible said that they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Strongholds are things in the, in the realm of the spirit that, as they say, they hold on to you strong. They don't lose their grip. For example, fear is a stronghold. When fear latches onto you, it holds you strong. So when you are faced with fear, you can't just, as I said, get something physical and address it. You have to engage it in the spirit because it is a spiritual matter. Pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What do you know about God? We know that God heals. So anything that is contrary to God's word saying that God is our healer. Scripture says that we cast it down. Anything that opposes the truth of God's word, we have to speak in the realm of the spirit, pray in the spirit and cast and destroy anything that is against or contrary to what the, to what the word of God is saying. And says, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. This is talking about our, our thoughts, our mindsets. If we're honest, sometimes the way that we think is very contrary to what the word of God says. But the Bible says that we have to bring every thought into obedience. So where you are thinking, I cannot do this thing because I'm scared. Bring that thing into obedience. The Bible says, not give me a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. So bring that thought pattern into obedience. Where in your mind you are struggling, thinking, you know what, I don't think I can, I can manage that my time well enough to do this particular thing. Again, cause your mind to change. Who told you you can't manage your time? You've told yourself. The enemy now is now also telling you. But you know, by reading the word of God, that you can do all things, the Bible says, through Christ that gives you strength. So renewing our minds, changing our mindsets, and bringing them into obedience to the word of God is not an impossible thing. It's something that we have to work on daily. So as we are in this spiritual battle, we know we have to use the weapons that work in that realm. And those weapons, in a general sense, is simply prayer, fasting, and the word of God. Now, I'll go into more detail, but those are the main weapons that we use. When we are under attack, is praying, is fasting, and is using and applying the word of God. That is the overriding process that you use. Now, if these three factors become part of your daily lifestyle, everything that you need to win your battle, you have it. You don't need anything else but to pray, fast, and apply the word of God. Everything that you need, God has already given to you. He's equipped you. The Bible talks about the armor of God. God has already given us the equipment that we need to fight every single battle. And in terms of the armor, we know it in Ephesians 6, verse 10 to 19. I'll quickly read. 
He said, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Standing is very important. When it says stand at the beginning, it said that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy. Nobody fights sitting down. Somebody came to you now in your chair and began to hit you and smack you. Are you going to just sit there? Even if you retaliate, you're not going to retaliate sitting down. You will get up. You will stand. Because when you stand, it's, it's, it's like a position of intent. It's a position to say, I am standing uh, in, a, in a position of authority to address the situation. That's why the Bible says, stand against the walls of the devil. Don't sit. Don't be passive. When the enemy attacks you, if you don't stand, then he will continue to attack you. But you stand in the position and the authority that God has given to you. Verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. This is where the battle is. Again, it's not people. It's not things. But the battle is in the realm of the spirit. Principalities, these are things, these are, 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 are hordes of, of agents on behalf of Satan. Powers, demonic powers, rulers of the darkness in this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. These are all spiritual matters that are addressed in prayer and only in prayer. Verse 13, therefore put on or take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand on the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, again the word stand. Having your waist with truth, girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith, which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Every weapon that God has given enlisted in this portion of scripture is a weapon that God wants us and expects us to use when we're under attack. Every single one from verse 13, the whole armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness God expects us to use. The feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The shield of faith. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then he goes on to say, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. And then being watchful. You know, it's interesting about the part where it said being watchful. That's, that part that says being watchful is talking about looking at yourself. Every single one of us, when it comes to our walk with God, is expected to do almost like a self-assessment on themselves. We need to watch ourselves. When it's saying being watchful, it's talking about watching what the enemy is trying to do. But remember that the enemy can only attack you based on any opening that you've given to the, for the enemy. So being watchful is really watching yourself. 
You have to watch what are you doing? What is it that I'm doing that may allow the enemy to have an opening into my life? This battle that we are in, we cannot win it with any form of human reasoning or methods. Only the Lord can fight your battle. But it starts in the realm of the spirit, in prayer. So my prayer before I close is that we will, God will allow the Holy Spirit to lift up his standard on our behalf. Now I said before, when it mentioned about the spirit of God raised up a standard, what does it mean? Now the standard refers, refers to, it's an old English word that refers to like a flag and a signal. So in the times of, uh, of battle, many years back, when a flag was raised during a battle, it meant that the troops and those in, in, in that, that will be fighting, that they all rally together and join together as one uh, group to address what is coming under attack. So the scripture is saying that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord will rally his angels on our behalf to oppress and attack the enemy on our behalf. So my time is gone. I want to say this to each and every one of us. Whatever attack that you are currently facing, whatever attack that, that you feel that is on its way or that you're going through right now, the Lord has raised up his standard. His angels are with him as he fights on our behalf. And he will win that battle for you. However, if we are giving the enemy any opening, if there's any issue of sin or disobedience, what will happen is that the Lord cannot raise that standard because legal ground has been given to the enemy to enter. And if you legally allow somebody to do something, your hands are tied. You may not like it, but because you've given them legal permission, you can't do anything. It's like those of us, maybe the different ones that maybe you have uh, um, a property and you have tenants who are there. Or you have, sorry, not, that's not even a good one. You have a property, but you have people who are squatting. So they entered into the property. They have no right to be there. But legally, they have rights. They have right, what's called squatter's rights, where they can stay there for a period of time. Now, you know you don't want them in your place, but legally, they have a right to stay there because of the law. So for a period of time, they can stay there. And it's the same with the enemy. Legally, if you allow him to have any right or any say of sin in your life, he can come in and cause havoc. And as I mentioned before, the Bible talks about the enemy coming like a flood. When a flood comes in, it doesn't care who's there. The flood will cause devastation. So if you give an opening to the enemy, he will cause devastation completely in your life. So my brother, my sister, I'm saying this to say, allow each and every one of us to be watchful. Look at your life. If there's any opening where the enemy has been able to come in, bring it before him. Ask the Lord to, to, to uh, have mercy on you. Repent where you need to repent. But also obey anything that the Lord has been speaking to you to do concerning your life. My prayer is that you obey the Lord's instruction.